invite you to turn over to page four, or three, excuse me, page three. You'll find there our, our scripture text for this morning from Leviticus 4. If you've been with us here at Emmanuel, each, uh, uh, in the last few months, each of the times we've celebrated the Lord's Supper, uh, we've taken a little break from our Ephesian study to go back to the Old Testament book of Leviticus to study the five different types of Old Testament sacrifices that God's people in the Old Covenant uh, were commanded by the Lord to bring. Uh, we, we do that as we celebrate the Lord's Supper, not because this is a sacrifice, it's not, but because what this celebrates is the final sacrifice, Jesus himself on the cross. Now, this points us back to what Jesus did, but God got his people ready for that cross work of Christ uh, with uh, the, the preparation of the Old Covenant. Uh, with the, the pictures that come in these Old Testament sacrifices. Uh, so, so we'll study them together, not so we can repeat them, but so we can learn more about Jesus and his final sacrifice. So, so far uh, in our study, we've talked about the burnt offering, the peace offering, the grain offering, and we come this morning to what's uh, translated as the sin offering, or the purification offering. Uh, it's all of Leviticus chapter 4. Now, we won't read the, the whole chapter because it, it basically covers the same procedure uh, just as applied to different types of sins. So the first 12 verses are all about what happens if a priest sins. Uh, then you get 13 to 21, uh, dealing with the sin of the entire congregation of God's people. Uh, then 22 to 26 is what if a leader, a tribal leader, sins and what we'll read, 27 to 31, uh, is all about what if a everyday Israelite sins. This is a little more like us, an everyday uh, follower of the Lord. Well, what happens uh, if there's sin there? Let's, let's read God's word together. Leviticus chapter 4, beginning at verse 27. If any uh, one of the common people sins unintentionally, in doing any one of those things that by the Lord's commands ought not to be done and realizes his guilt or the sin which he has committed is made known to him, he shall bring for his offering a goat, a female without blemish, for his sin which he has committed. And he shall lay his hand on the head of the sin offering and kill the sin offering in, in the place of burnt offering. And the priest shall take some of its blood with, it, with his finger and put it on the horns of the altar of burnt offering and pour all the rest of the blood at the base of the altar. And its fat he shall remove as the fat is removed from the peace offerings. And the priest shall burn it on the altar for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And the priest shall make atonement for him and he shall be forgiven. Let's pray together. Father, we know that your word declares that all of Scripture is God-breathed and is useful uh, for the people of God to be well-equipped for every good work. And so we pray that you would equip us, uh, even, with, even with this passage from Leviticus. We pray, Lord, that we would know Jesus better uh, because we understand his work more fully. Uh, would you encourage and teach, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 
So there you are. It dawns on you that you just sin. A sin. You've done something that God said no, or maybe you failed to do something that God commands you to do. You've sinned, and it just dawns on you. Now what? What do you do when you've realized that you've sinned? Now, there's a couple ways that we're tempted to respond, which can get us in trouble. Uh, one pitfall is, when discovering our sin, we can be tempted to minimize it. Minimize the sin. There's one pitfall. Uh, maybe, maybe you come up with a list of reasons in your mind why, well, it's really not that bad. Uh, maybe you say to yourself, I didn't really mean to sin. Or, or maybe you think, yeah, but this is something that I see a whole lot of other Christians doing. And actually, there's that one brother. He's doing much worse. So it can't be that bad, right, God? Um, maybe you make another kind of list, uh, a list of all the really good things you've done recently. Okay, God, I shouldn't have done this. Uh, or just speaking to yourself. Yeah, but I did read my Bible recently. I did go to church on Sunday. Right? That, that kind of counts for something, doesn't it? We say to ourselves. Uh, or maybe you just minimize the sin by just quickly forgetting about it. You just move on. Oops, I sinned. What's for lunch? Just move on. Okay, so there's one pitfall. Minimize the sin. Here's another uh, danger, uh, the pitfall of minimizing Christ. Minimizing Christ. So in this situation, uh, you realize your sin, and you're just overcome by it. Not just a, a healthy sadness and grief over the ugliness of sin, uh, but you're just completely devastated by it. Uh, you're absolutely convinced that because you've done this and done it again, that, that God has to be just finished with you. I mean, come on, look what you did. Look what you've kept on doing. That he's had enough, uh, he's done. Certainly he's not going to help you the rest of the day. I mean, why would he? Um, certainly he's not going to answer that prayer that's been on your heart recently. Because look what you did. Uh, and, and, and there's like this dark cloud that just follows you around, you feel. Uh, that that for, for days, maybe, maybe, maybe months or years, you feel like your life is clouded because look what you have done. And you better find some way to do some good things that that dark cloud can go away. So this pitfall is not minimizing sin, it's minimizing Christ. I wonder which you're, you're tempted to go to. Right? You realize you've sinned. Uh, which one's more tempting for you? Maybe you go back and forth, depending on the circumstance, or even depending on the minute. Either one of them is dangerous. It saps your spiritual energy. And both of them are displeasing to God, because both of them are clouded with lies and miss his truth. So, how do we avoid the pitfalls and, and walk the way of God's truth and righteousness when we realize we've sinned? Well, believe it or not, the Old Testament sin offering to the rescue. Old Testament sin offering. And we've seen in these Old Testament offerings that each one has a lot of common elements. 
And so if you've been with us, you, you probably recognize in our readings some similar things coming up. Spotless animal dies. Uh, the worshiper lays his hand on the animal. Uh, similar things. But each time there's a little something different. And that little difference really highlights uh, a particular aspect of sin and salvation uh, that, that should grab our attention and should focus us on what Christ did completely for us. And the thing that's really highlighted in the sin offering is this. Sin pollutes, blood purifies. Sin pollutes, blood purifies. Uh, uh, or you could, you could take it this way. Uh, your sin is far worse than you think, but the work of, work of Christ is far more powerful than you've imagined. Your sin is far worse than you think, the work of Christ more powerful than you imagined. And so let's start with the bad news. Your sin, my sin, worse than you ever thought. So you look at verse 27, uh, and, and we clearly it has to do with dealing with sin. If any one of the common people sins unintentionally, what does that mean? What does it mean to sin unintentionally? Um, now, clearly, it's still a sin, right? It even goes on to clarify what, what it means in the rest of the verse. Uh, doing one of any one of the things that by the Lord's commandments ought not to be done. Right? There's, there's, a, there's a definition of what sin is. You're breaking God's commandments. So clearly, it's, it's still a sin. But what is, what is an unintentional sin? Well, the best way to, to, to understand what the Old Testament means by this is to look at, at the, the other kind of sin that's highlighted in, in the Old Testament. If you went to Numbers 15, you would see these more side by side, where there we see unintentional sins contrasted with what are called sins of the high hand. Sins of the high hand. High-handed sins. Perhaps you can, you can even get, a, get an idea of what that's about by, by just the picture. Sins of the high hand. Uh, in other words, you, you're kind of shaking your fist at God. And so that kind of sin, a, uh, a very extremely intentional rebellion against God, you, you say very explicitly in the, in the sin. But here Paul is talking about, or Leviticus is talking about what's contrasted with that, or what could be translated unintentional, inadvertent sin, Sin, not of the high hand. You didn't set out to shake your fist at God, but you still ended up sinning. You still ended up breaking God's law. Uh, it's still a sin. It's, it's still, you're still culpable uh, because it came out of your heart. Uh, there was, uh, well, let's, let's, let's think of it this way. That, that distinction between sins of the high hand and unintentional sins, we even have a, an equivalent in our own modern legal system of, of this. Uh, you could think of the difference between murder and involuntary manslaughter, right? You, you, you heard those terms. Maybe you could picture it this way. You read a news story about, uh, about someone driving down the road, and they were, they were fiddling with their cell phone when they should have been paying attention, and they inadvertently struck a pedestrian, and that pedestrian died. That driver is guilty. Um, but not technically guilty of murder. It, they're really guilty, 
clearly they, they were doing something wrong. And, and it's, it wasn't just an oops, right? There was, there was a, a self-centeredness from the heart that had them more interested in whatever was going on in the cell phone than the, than the road that they should have been paying attention to. Uh, but the killing itself was not intentional. They didn't set out to, I'm going to go strike someone down today with my car. Uh, and so they would be convicted of manslaughter, not murder, which is involves malice, aforethought, uh, premeditation for first-degree murder. You know, in other words, sin of, sin of a high hand. You set out intentionally. So we have something of that, that distinction in our own, our own legal system. That's something of what the Old Testament is getting at in terms of uh, in terms of the difference between unintentional sin and sins of the high hand. Uh, so, can you think of maybe an example that you might run into? Maybe, maybe you've just come away from a time with a friend, you went out for coffee or out, out for lunch, and you're driving home and you're thinking back over the conversation and you realize, oh, I think I just gossiped about that brother or sister. Uh, at the time, I thought I was just telling an interesting story and making co fun conversation. But what I was actually doing was telling the private details of somebody else's life that this person really didn't need to know and had the effect of destroying the reputation of this brother or sister. Gossip. And God says that's a sin. So not a sin of the high hand where you, you walked into that lunch thinking, I'm going to destroy the reputation of this other person. No, not a sin of the high hand, but yet still a sin. Uh, unintentional, you could say, but, but yet still connected to the heart. You knew enough to be more careful. Uh, you were more interested in that moment in having a fun conversation than you really were honoring someone else. Uh, and so unintentional sin, still sin. Uh, or, or maybe you get to the end of a week and you realize, wow, I, I haven't really prayed at all this week. I just didn't. You know, didn't really thank the Lord for his mercies. Didn't really ask him for help in the midst of my needs and the challenges of the world. Just didn't really pray at all. Now, wouldn't be a sin of the high hand. Uh, you didn't probably set out, I will not talk to God this week shaking my fist at him. You probably didn't do that. Um, but uh, it was inadvertent, but still a sin. God calls us to pray and rely upon him. Uh, and, and, our, uh, and, and there was something going on in our heart uh, that, that came out in that, in that prayerlessness. These are the kinds of things that are, well, this is everyday life, if we're honest with ourselves. This is, this is every day, multiple times a day. Uh, maybe you could, you could think of the kinds of unintentional sins that you tend to find yourself in. And one of the things we want to notice from the text is just how seriously God takes even these unintentional sins. Right? These are the kinds of sins that we tend to excuse, right? The, the go through the list why it's really not that bad, like, I didn't mean to, you might say. Um, surely God understands, right? And set out to do X or Y. Um, well, it is true. If we went to the Old Testament, it's, it's sins of the high hand are, are dealt with more, more severely. Uh, but notice here that even these unintentional sins are clearly quite serious in God's sight. Uh, so in order to fix it, we're, we're told here, something must die. 
the worshiper is supposed to bring an animal, the best of his flock, uh, and kill it. A spotless, innocent, uh, is, is to die. The blood shed in this very graphic way uh, in order to deal with that unintentional sin, the very thing that you and I might be tempted to be like, eh, not too bad. It's a big deal, apparently. Uh, so, so we're starting to get this idea, wow, this is worse than I thought. Call it sin's prevalence. But then we could also talk about sin's pollution. And, and here is getting into more of the heart of what this section of Scripture and this particular offering, this particular sacrifice, highlights. <coughs> what is different about this particular type of sacrifice is how much is done with the blood. How much is done with the blood? Uh, if we looked at the other the other situations, when a priest sins and, and so forth, congregation sins, uh, you realize there's even more that's done with the blood. Uh, remember where we are in, in Leviticus 4. God's people are in the wilderness. They've, been, they've rescued out of Egypt. They're in the wilderness. God has just instructed them and led them through the construction of the tabernacle. Uh, this, this tent where the glory presence of God would dwell, it's surrounded by a courtyard dedicated to, uh, to the Lord. And this tabernacle with its courtyard is right in the middle of God's people. God's people can, camped all around. A wonderful thing, God himself in this glory presence dwelling among his people. This is wonderful. Uh, but but here, uh, here they are, the Israelites, well, they're sinners. And, and what you start to see if you go through, the, through this sin offering is, uh, is the blood being put and sprinkled at various places around the tabernacle. Uh, so if you were a priest, and we read 1 through 12, if you were a priest who sinned, uh, then the blood of this sin offering was to be taken inside the tent, uh, sprinkled on the curtain, wiped on the horns of the, the altar inside, the incense altar, for, for the congregation, the whole congregation, same thing. Uh, for an everyday Israelite, as we, as we mentioned here, the, the blood is to be taken and, and put on the outside courtyard altar. Uh, and then what's mentioned and what's highlighted here with this, this manipulation and sprinkling and smearing of blood uh, is this, the idea that sin pollutes. Sin defiles. There's a pollution that comes uh, from sin. So for the priest, who, who part of his job takes him inside the tent, well, if he sins, there's a sense in which that pollution, it, it, it has to be cleansed from the place where he works closer to the presence of God. So take the blood in there, sprinkle it in there, wipe it on the altar in there. Uh, or for the everyday Israelite, that outer courtyard, well, that's where you go and worship or bring your other kind of offering and if you sin, it, it, there's a pollution that comes in it, and it pollutes that part uh, of, the, of the tabernacle complex. You need to wipe the blood there. You get the idea, the idea of, of pollution. Sin defiles. Sin, sin pollutes. Um, maybe you've even, even in a sense, felt this at certain times. Have you ever sinned, and then you find yourself just feeling dirty? Like, like something has defiled you? It's because sin does pollute. Now, we should make a very important caveat. 
Uh, we always want to be careful with our feelings. Uh, and so sometimes Christians feel dirty when they should not. Uh, because according to the truth of Scripture, it wasn't their sin. Uh, maybe it was the sin of someone else. Uh, but, but there's no reason for, uh, for, for that believer to feel dirty. And we need to speak the truth of Scripture to that feeling. But there are other times when we really have sinned, when that feeling of defiled, that feeling of dirty, makes sense. Because sin really does pollute. And so that should point us to something real. Wow, sin is sin's a big deal. It's prevalent in our lives, uh, and, it, and it, it pollutes. We need help. The problem's worse than we thought. But of course, God comes with a solution. And in fact, it's more powerful uh, than we ever imagined. Sin pollutes, but blood purifies. Solution, of course, is Jesus Christ. The solution comes from God. There's the first part of it. It comes from God. If we were to read verse 1, where this offering is introduced, uh, the, the heading there for this whole section is, And the Lord spoke. So you have this problem of sin and its defilement, its pollution, and the Lord spoke. In other words, God gave the solution. Right? Think of that. The problem is ours. But God some comes in and says, I'll solve it for you. God speaks for it. God, uh, from before the foundation of the world, plans it. God, in space and time, the Father sends his Son. I'll solve it. How is it solved? The blood of the sacrifice. Pictured here in the Old Covenant, uh, that in order to deal with this pollution of sin, this spotless, costly Innocent one is brought. Remember the, the identification? Right? There's the hand on the head, the, the identification. I'm the one who's polluted by sin, but here's this spotless one, and the spotless animal in the Old Covenant dies. The, the blood is shed. Blood symbolizes life. Life is given. Life is given and the maneuvering and sprinkling and smearing of that blood is this idea that the life that was given in place of the guilty purifies, cleanses. And now uh, the, the one and the, the, the space in which they inhabit, which was defiled by sin, polluted by sin, now it's clean. Now it's clean. And you notice uh, at the end of that, uh, that, that section we read, verse 31, and the priest shall make atonement for him, and he shall be forgiven. No more destructive effects of sin. No more defilement. No more pollution. It is, it is forgiven. And of course, this is all Old Testament pictures that point us forward to what Christ did. Not hard to see Jesus here, is it? Can you see it? Jesus, the final sacrifice. Uh, the true and ultimate representative, right, a uh, a goat really can't represent us, not truly, but here is, uh, here is Jesus, fully God and fully man. He can represent us perfectly. And he's the spotless one. No sin in him, no, no defilement in his entire being. Uh, and yet he, he goes to the cross and he dies for the guilty. His, his blood is shed. We even, we even focus in on that at the, at the supper, don't we? It's one of the key elements. 
as we take the cup and, and, we, and we see this symbol and seal of the, the blood of Christ that was shed. Right? The blood. The blood is, we take the cup and we, we drink it. This, the picture there, of course, that the blood of Christ through faith is applied to our lives. Right? Like, the, like the, the, the priest taking and sprinkling and smearing, the, the fulfillment of that is the blood of Jesus, that blood that cleanses, that blood that, that cleans the defilement is applied to our lives. God applies it. The Holy Spirit applies it. We just receive the gift by faith. And the result is cleansing. Cleansing. Uh, can you go back to that Hebrews passage we read? You actually have it on your on your sheet. You just flip your page over on page two. Right? Ephesians, uh, Hebrews 9. Can, can you hear Leviticus here? Can you hear sin offering here? But it's all like, ah, here's the fulfillment. Here, here is the good news for us. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, right, better priest than the human and the old, then through the greater and more perfect tent, better tabernacle, verse 12, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of bulls and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption, an eternal rescue. Verse 13, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctified for the purification of the flesh. In other words, if there was under the old covenant this outer kind of purification, verse 14, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? How much more? Here's what it all comes down to. Here's what it all points to. The blood of Christ. And what's the effect? Uh, through faith, it purifies us all the way within. All the, the defilement, all the pollution, it purifies our hearts completely, totally. So that, that Jesus, the great high priest, declares forgiven. Purified. This is why running to Christ, there, there's no need to feel dirty anymore. Forget it. Done. No need to feel like there's this dark cloud hanging over. No, no, because the, the blood has been shed, applied, forgiven, pollution, cleansed. There's that first John reading. What did we read there? You can flip over your page to page three at the top that we read earlier, you see how John then applies this. All right, it gets to that original question of ours. Well, what do we do when we sin? Well, well, you see how, how there in, in verse 7, there's, there's the answer. The blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Right, you hear the sin offering language? Cleansing, cleaning, purifying. The blood of Jesus does it. And verse 9, here, here's what it looks like for us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, so here, here's what you do with your sin. You don't try to come up with all reasons why it's not really that bad. Uh, nor, do you, nor do you go into a place of despair and absolute darkness as if nothing could rescue you from it. 
But you run to Jesus. You confess it freely. You cling uh, in faith to this blood of Jesus that cleanses us from all sin. And what is what does God declare? Just like the priest of old, sin forgiven. Cleansed from all unrighteousness. Now, it's only through Christ, which is why you have to be trusting in Christ. It's not just having some vague belief in God or vague trust that everything's going to be okay. No, you need Jesus and trust in him. But if you're trusting in Christ, you're leaning on him, you're confessing your sin and clinging to Jesus, this, this is what God declares over your life. Cleansed. Forgiven. And, and coming to the supper, we get this, we get this picture of it, portrayal of it. It comes home to us as just like God spoke with the solution of the old here. Here we have this picture of what God has given as he, as he gives it to you. Look, the blood of Christ has been given to you. This is just a picture, but here, take it, he says. And we take it in. The, the blood of Christ being pictured as applying to all of our lives. And we get to celebrate it. Right. This is what Jesus did for me. And this is who I am in him, cleansed. From all sin. Yes, if we say we have no sin, we're a, we're a liar. Don't minimize it. But don't be in despair. Uh, in fact, you have reason to rejoice. Uh, because though, though your sin, my sin, is far worse than we think, uh, the work of Christ, the blood of Christ, far more powerful, cleanses us for all eternity. Uh, did, did, you, did you know how, how heaven is pictured? Right? We, could ask, we should ask ourselves, how in the world would, would sinners ever get to dwell in the presence of a spotless, holy God? You know how Revelation pictures those uh, who are gathered, the multitudes who are gathered? It's not because, oh, these are the perfect people. Here's, here's what John says about that, that multitude. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Washed. Clean. The blood of Jesus. That's, that, that's our identity for all eternity. That's, that's your hope. That's my hope. And that's what we celebrate. And that's what we trust in. Let's pray together. Father, we do pray that you would focus our eyes on what Christ has done. Your loving redemption and powerful cleansing. Even here, uh, Lord, represented to us. We pray that you would encourage your people this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.